Welcome to today's episode of Bench to Boardroom Podcast. I am your host, Cynthia Steele. And today's conversation uh, is really, really interesting. It's with my very good friend, Dr. Julie Tetzloff, who is the Chief Operating Officer at Diverge Translational Science Labs in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Diverge is actually a company that Julie started with her husband, Dr. Mike Lawler, uh, about a year and a half ago. And uh, so far, they've managed to make it a really great success. But before that, Julie's taken a really interesting uh, turn in her career from being a bench scientist to joining a startup company, going back to academics, and now she runs her own company. And you'll hear in my conversation, Julie talks a lot about how much she enjoys building things and creating things and then let, letting somebody else uh, run it. So, so a lot of really good wisdom that she shares in this podcast, uh, a lot of good advice, and I hope you enjoy listening. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Julie Tetzloff. Dr. Julie Tetzloff, welcome to Bench the Boardroom. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I am so excited to have you. So we have known each other for, oh my God, it's been almost 20 years, right? At least, At 20, least years? 20 years since graduate yeah. school. <laughs> and we met as I was a first year grad student in the same lab that you were working in. Mm-hmm. Just oh, young, idealistic 20 somethings, right? <laughs> it was a good time. Good it really time. was lots of fun. And a very tolerant office mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. We were like planning weddings and just mm-hmm. having fun. Oh, my God. So much girliness, and she just tolerated all of it. <laughs> smile oh, Colleen if you're out there thank you <laughs> thanks for being up with us yes <laughs> so for our listeners who don't know you as well as I do please introduce yourself sure okay uh so my name is Julie Tetzloff um what do you want to know do you want me to like launch into my history here or? yeah yeah so let's I mean yeah so let's see uh what, what was your PhD in uh so my PhD is in neuroscience um, and I got that at Loyola University in Chicago. Um, let's see, right? Yay. <laughs> From there, I went on to do a postdoc at Massachusetts General Hospital. Um, I did my postdoc in Parkinson's disease. And then I uh, helped start a biotech company out in Boston. Mm-hmm. And that was Seaside Therapeutics. We studied fragile X syndrome. Uh, gosh, should I just keep going with my history? Uh, well actually this is is good because um when we met you loved teaching yeah I remember you you loved teaching and so it seemed to me like you wanted to stay in academia so what made you take the leap interesting so yeah I do love to teach and I have incorporated that into every aspect every career stage that I've had um and there have been many many changes um but you know, in graduate school, I had really decided that I wanted to go into industry. And even though my advisor at the time uh, discouraged that, (laughs) um, you know, I just really felt passionate about going into industry. And mostly because I liked that feeling of high throughput, you know, really helping people on a large scale. Mm -hmm. And I got a taste of that in graduate school in the lab that I was in. Uh, We were doing you know, we were looking at the effect of Android, um, oh, sorry, it's been a long time, uh, uh, testosterone on peripheral nerve injury. And I thought, well, this is really cool. If something like this, like a therapeutic took off and could help just a number of people at once, you know, that's what I'm in for. That's what yeah. I want. Yeah. Um, and so then I started really thinking about industry and that's where, that's where I had made the switch way back in grad school. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's excellent. So then you moved to Boston because your new husband got a residency at Mass yeah. General, right? He got a residency out there and it was supposed to be in California, but it turned out that he matched in Boston. So that's <laughs> slightly different. <laughs> so, you know, as I think the theme of what we'll be talking about today is you just have to adapt. You have to follow your heart and you have to adapt and just figure it out. You know, no one's going to do it for you. You just need to figure it out. So all of a sudden we're on match day. We're expecting to open this envelope for California and be out on the West coast where his family is. Uh, And no, 
no, the envelopes at Boston. And we were <laughs> like, well, what the heck? Neither of us had been to Boston. We're like, what are we going to do with this? Um, so we just moved to Boston. And then I started scrambling. I needed a postdoc. So I, and and luckily, I mean, it's Boston. So there are just dozens of universities. So well, I just, a, few, a few well-known universities out there. It was fine. Yeah. I, you know, so I just started finding a postdoc and luckily I had you know, a couple of options. And, you know, it was a wonderful time in life. He was really busy in his residency. I could completely immerse myself into a postdoc. And mm-hmm. and we were just just having a great time. No kids, yeah. nothing, no dependents. It was amazing. A great time in life. I remember, didn't you move like the day after your wedding or something oh like God. that week? We sure did. We sure did. And we did, we paused our honeymoon for like a, a week or so. Uh, my fantastic parents drove to the east coast with us and like a u-haul and and our stuff which i mean we didn't have a lot of stuff um but so we drove to boston unpacked real quick and then went on our honeymoon because <laughs> i remember uh your wedding day saying goodbye to you oh. and re- and being like that's right i'm not gonna see her again like we're not going to show up in the lab together tomorrow. You know, this is, this is goodbye yeah. for a while. That yeah. was, that was rough. <laughs> that was, that was rough. I mean, yeah. Right. It was a hard goodbye and, and being far away. And I had never, I had intentionally positioned my life in the Midwest mm-hmm. in every stage, my undergraduate career, my graduate career. I, you know, I just, I wanted to be in the Midwest. I wanted to be with my family and my friends and that, that was just everything to me. You know, my, the relationships in my life are very important to me. So going to Boston was uh, not, you know, it was, it was a challenge. Yeah. It was yeah. a challenge. But I think, actually, I really like that because it seems to me, and this is something I talk with my husband about a lot because he's moved around considerably. And up until about five, six years ago, I hadn't. I did the same thing as you, just centered my life around my hometown. And so I feel like that's something that a lot of people in the Midwest, it seems like they do, you know, that you you can go within a few hours uh, of where you grew up, but in general, you, you stick around and you hang out there. But you just said when, when you got to Boston, it actually ended up being amazing. Mm-hmm. And certainly when when I left the Midwest, some amazing things happened as well. So um, I think that's something that I want to emphasize to our listeners is I never liked the idea when people would say, oh, you're geographically restricting yourself. You know, if you if you find a postdoc, you do a postdoc in the same lab, you do a postdoc in a, a nearby lab, you know, don't geographically restrict yourself. I mean, you can, it, it, it works out. There's plenty of success stories where it works out just fine. But Taking a chance and doing something unexpected, like mm-hmm. up a U-Haul and driving to Boston uh, can actually be end up being a pretty amazing thing. Absolutely. And, you know, not only is it fantastic for self-confidence, mm-hmm. you know, because you convince yourself, oh, wait, I can do this. Okay, it, this is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other side of things, I have observed that it makes you more attractive to hiring managers. Really? Uh, because you you have now a different perspective. You have a different type of training. You know, you've kind of proven yourself that you're willing to take risks. And, uh, you know, so uh, when I came back to the Midwest uh, and I was looking for faculty jobs, that was actually uh, the people that I was interviewing with. They were very excited that I had been out to Boston and that I had trained in a great area. And, you know, that was uh, that was very good for me worked out really well for me. Awesome. So yeah. then tell us about Seaside. Yes. Oh, that my God. oh my God. That was one of the best times in my life. I mean, aside from the kids I have now and the family <laughs> I have now, which is the best. I mean, it just keeps getting better. It's ridiculous. But Seaside, so uh, gosh, it was time for me to leave my postdoc. I had been there for about three years and I had done what I needed to do. I wanted to do a short postdoc. Um, and, and let me just make, make this point real quick that if you do think you want to go into industry, it's a good idea to do a shorter postdoc um, and just kind of get, get that postdoc experience in and then start looking for jobs right away. If you want to go into academia, in my experience, um, it's better to do a longer postdoc and try to get those grants and try to get some funding that's going to set you up to get that faculty position that you want. Sure. Um, 
So anyways, uh, I did a shorter postdoc and I was in Boston. So I was in the perfect area uh, and ecosystem to just hop into an industry job. And man, I found it a, a gem in Seaside Therapeutics. There were only two other people in the company. There was a CEO, there was a CFO. They had just gotten some capital and they were looking for a a research scientist. And I'll tell you, I don't know. Well, here's where the imposter syndrome comes in people because I don't know why they hired me. (laughs) I don't know why. They were studying fragile X. Um, I'll tell you maybe why they hired me. Um, They were studying fragile X. well, I had no experience in Fragile X. They wanted me to build the lab. I had never done that. Um, I don't know why they hired me. Man, what a great group of people. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you, and here's another little gem. If you are interviewing, do your research. Okay. Yes. Yes. Do your research. So I got online. I looked up. I entered, I interviewed a bunch of people because they had a lot of consultants working with them and whatnot. And so I looked up everybody. Um, I took notes on everybody. I read uh, some of the publications. I looked into their histories. I learned everything I could about them. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed with one person who was the acting CSO. And I knew that he was from Wisconsin. And I knew that he liked the Packers. <laughs> so we're in the elevator. We arrived at the interview at the same time when we were going to go up. They were in like this virtual office space, at the, or not a virtual office space, but they were in like a office space they were renting they didn't have a company or a lab or anything and I knew what he looked like and I said and I was like hey I think I'm interviewing with you and so then I managed to work in the Packers immediately and his face lit up it just lit up and then there we go and then it was natural and fun and we were laughing and Brett Favre was the quarterback and he was good he hadn't been weird yet (laughs) he was a good quarterback and we were just it, you know, it just set the tone. Perfect. I love, I love that. I, I'm going to second that to definitely do your research. Cause I've, I've had that benefit me in interviews, but I think it still stands out in my head. There was a guy that we were interviewing for a medical science liaison position. And I sat down with him. And the first thing he did is he opened up his folder, pulled out one of my manuscripts <laughs> And like pushed it across the table and said, you know, I used to research fibrosis and I, you know, this paper is fantastic. And I was like, done, you're hired. That's it. There you go. Yeah. When can you start? (laughs) (laughs) When do you want to start? You're amazing. You know, so I will, I a thousand percent echo that. If you, if you can find something that you can connect with another person, not only can it make it a more enjoyable interview, like you said, you know, you go from talking about, the Packers and maybe hating on the bears a little bit or hating on the Vikings a little bit. I'm sure there was some of that. And then, and then you can just ease in to, to the actual conversation. I, I love that as a tactic, as a strategy. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so you, and so you're building a lab at Seaside oh, and you were working on, was it essay development that you were doing? Oh my God. It was crazy. So finally, we ended up um, leasing a a space that had lab space and office space, and it was just completely empty. Mm -hmm. And so I walked in and there were just, you know, like six benches and nothing. So I I had a budget and I started ordering things and supplies and filling up the lab. I had to like figure out the plumbing, something was wrong with the sinks. I mean, I had to get the freezers in. I had to set up safety. I had to set up all this stuff that I had never done before. Um, I had an amazing female mentor, uh, who was just incredible. And, you know, she knew of course that I was coming from academia. So after every meeting, she would just take me into her office and we would just break down the language. Like what words didn't you understand? And I'd be like most of them. And yeah. Uh, oh, that's you wonderful. Know, because back then there really weren't podcasts and, and YouTube videos you could watch and, you know, Right now, I have done so much self-education for the role that I currently have, and the resources that are available are on, they're just incredible, like this podcast. You know, I lived on podcasts while we were starting this company, and they were everything to just hear the language and hear people talking about, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't around when, 
when I was uh, with this company. So I agree. And, and we've I, normalized. I feel like we've normalized Googling anything. Yeah. You know, oh, chat GPT. I chat so yeah. much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, and just a- asking Siri your random questions, you know? Yeah. 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 No, I, um, I completely agree. So, so you had a mentor who guided you through the process, you know, she was amazing. What, amazing. what do we need? How much of it do we need? Yeah, it was a challenge, but what a great time in life. Because again, my husband was still doing his residency and he was, it was very demanding. Sure. And so that was the time in my life. The only time in my life when I worked just around the clock. Yeah. Nights, weekends, you know, that was the only time in my life that I did, but I'm glad I did it. I did what I needed to do and it was exciting and I learned so much and I was constantly panicked and I constantly felt like I was drowning and, and that I was underwater and I was young. And I didn't know what I was doing, but it, I learned so much from it and it was amazing. They gave me that opportunity Wow! because without that opportunity, I would not have the company that we have today. Absolutely. It just just would not have been something that conceptually I would have thought we could do. Yeah. No, I I understand that. And and now that I'm remembering a little bit more about that time when you were in Boston, everything that you're doing now with Diverge makes makes perfect sense. Yeah, it would not have been possible because I I lived it. I saw it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I loved it when you would come visit me in Boston. Oh my gosh, we had so much fun. (laughs) We had so much fun. (laughs) <laughs> wine and movies and and your dog stealing my m&m party stealing tissues oh stealing tissues. <laughs> <laughs> julie's uh, julie's cockapoo had a thing for napkins and kleenex and i would forget every time <laughs> i'd come and visit and i'd always put you in your purse yes it would go right into your purse, purse. And just grab a wad of tissues and run off with them. Like we're kind and of trying to take them and then he'd be like, growl. <laughs> oh my God, Marty. He stole a napkin out of my hand at a party <laughs> we were having. <laughs> just, and just standing off some chip gun. <laughs> he was such a strange dog, but aw. he was, yeah. Love Marty. I don't care what your husband says. I love Marty. <laughs> yeah, Marty didn't love my husband. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Because <laughs> you got Marty when he was in the surgical rotation, right? Yep. And so God, when your memory is amazing. <laughs> well, no, because I remember because when Mike came back from his surgical rotation and there's this dog there, the dog's like, Who's this? Yep. Who the heck's this guy? Yeah. So we'd sit <laughs> on the couch and then he Marty would have to like sit in between us and oh, yeah. yeah. It was- you never quite gave up the uh interest in being the alpha male in your life did he not not even till his last day he was still trying to be the alpha that's right our current dog is super submissive and adores mike so i there think it, so he, it so all he worked out <laughs> <laughs> he did. all right so then um was it mike who then got a, the job at medical college of wisconsin or oh how did God. that transition back to milwaukee happen because as i recall you didn't really want to go to Boston, but when it came to came time to leave, you were kicking and screaming. Yeah, no, I did not want to leave Boston. Boston was the ecosystem for me to be in. I mean, there, I my seaside was literally in a building, a four story building that was just loaded with startup mid size, small to mid size companies. So I knew that when if seaside you know was going to start going under, I no problem getting a job. Sure. I'd just go down to the third floor and see if they needed a scientist. You know, it wasn't going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to leave. That's where I saw my life. Um, I loved Boston. I, I liked the opportunities there. Public transportation, diverse thinking, diverse populations. You know, I didn't want to go back to the Midwest where it was pretty sure it was going to be slow. And I didn't have the patience for that pace anymore. Um, so anyways, um. Mike's yeah time up at Mass General you know his time was up at Mass General and he thought you know well it's probably start it's time to look for faculty meetings and you know he was just at a dinner when we were back visiting and he had mentioned something and then to to someone I don't really remember the details but um they had said you know why don't you interview at MCW in pathology 
And so we thought, okay, fine. Um, the department chair was amazing. Uh, she agreed to interview both of us. And actually, it's so interesting how life works out because, you know, she loved my industry experience. Yeah. She knew, and I had projected that I was going to bring that kind of pace and that developmental mindset to uh, a faculty position at the medical college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think she really recognized that. I think a theme in my life, okay. So I've done a whole bunch of different jobs. Yes, you have. But a theme in my life has been building. I love to build. I love to build something and then I like to walk away from it. And this has started way back in graduate school when I would love to set up a new methodology in the lab, you know, whether it be a Western blot or a paraffin embedding station or whatever it was. I'd love to read about it. How do you do it? Then I would do it, write out an SOP and ask someone else to do it because then I was done with it. I was done with it. You know, I was not interested. So I helped start up this company, kind of done, you know, I mean, uh, and so she, this, the chair of, the pathology department, she knew that I would bring that spirit to my position. And then we had talked about a couple of projects that needed building mm-hmm. in the department. And I was very excited to and and kick those off. And, and that included, um, you know, grants and core facilities and things like that. And, and it really grew from there. So again, again, another really great female mentor in my life that uh, really, really, uh, I don't know if took a chance on me is the right word, but she really believed in me. She, she believed in me and I, and, uh, I, I'm, I was grateful for it at that time in our life. We, we needed a change. We had a, us, we had a, uh, baby mm-hmm. and I'll tell you that my uh, dad was starting to get quite ill and, you know, being in Boston with no support with one child and no money, uh, wasn't really a sustainable situation. (laughs) (laughs) And it was very hard for, for Mike to get a faculty job there, but it's very competitive and also not a rewarding place to be a faculty member at certain institutions. And so, you know, coming back to the Midwest was uh, something that I, I I didn't think we'd be able to do, but managed to manage to pull it off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we did. So yeah. So then we both uh, ended up in the pathology department at the Medical College of Wisconsin as assistant professors. Yeah, yeah. And then you started the alternative careers in science uh, seminar series for the postdocs, right? Well, I will say that that's okay. So that series was already going on. Um, by another amazing mentor um, and he really had the foresight to know that that's what was needed at the time Mm -hmm. Um, but anyways that that job came later so so you're leading to a job that I I applied for about five years into my time at the medical college where um, I again wanted to to build something and develop something programmatically this time at an administrative level and uh, I realized that that's kind of where the, the power for change was you know was faculties were faculty members were powerful mm-hmm. at the institution but I wanted to get into administration I wanted to to experience that and so I had applied for um, an assistant dean position of postdoctoral education and yeah. so that's when I got to do a lot of programmatic development for um, alternative careers and, yeah. and lots of other things but but the the work I did with the uh, alternative careers and the consulting group is something that I'm I'm very proud of. That's right. Do you still feel like that's something that, say, my target audience doesn't hear a lot about alternative careers in science? You know, I feel like people are talking about it a lot more than they were. And I know it, it, at the medical college, um, you know, people are starting to become more accepting that that, you know, not everyone's going to go into academia, nor is it sustainable. There have been many landmark studies that have shown, you know, that only 13 to 15 percent of postdocs even go into academia right and that's largely because well there aren't the positions to go into it and you know we have a lot of postdocs we have a lot of phds uh they're just there's not enough faculty jobs and so i think uh, you know i think people are more accepting of it the challenge i see though for postdocs in certain labs is that 
the PI doesn't want them to be distracted by other pursuits. And so, you know, to go out and be part of a consulting group to get some experience or to go to a seminar or to get some other training or maybe do a little internship in a company. Mm-hmm. PIs, still a, a large number of PIs are, aren't really supportive of that diversion of time expenditure. That makes sense. Yeah. I can, I, on one hand, I can understand that. But on the other hand, as you say, you have so many grad students in each class and then you have so many phds and so many postdocs and yet i once you have tenure i mean we knew so many professors who were brilliant and absolutely wonderful but they had so much lab space that went unutilized you know and i mean now granted they could still ask the best question in the world even after sleeping through your entire research and progress seminar they they could somehow (laughs) wake up and come up with something earth shattering i know what you're talking about <laughs> you can see <laughs> <it> right <laughs> but you know these people also just tended to have a lot of like the best office spaces and a lot of lab space and so you're right it's not sustainable to graduate so many people when those spots are not being vacated or mm-hmm. even if one pi has let's say four even four postdocs five postdocs at a time or graduate students and postdocs at a time Eventually, when that person retires, that only opens up one slot. So yeah. there's just, yeah, yeah, there yeah has- so there's not, there's not enough space and it's really not incentivized in a meaningful way. So I'm thinking about the NIH, for example. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of R01 justification relies on, you know, what have your <clears throat> trainees done? Yep. And if your trainees aren't in academia, the NIH still views that as kind of a fail. And that's... Uh, that could be a negative. So, you know, I think that again, it's starting to change, but slowly because it's academia and that's how things change. Yeah. <laughs> so now tell us about yeah. Diverge. Oh my gosh. So, oh wow. Diverge is just, it's amazing. So this is a company that um, my husband and I uh, co-own, we co-founded. It is, it, yeah, right. It's in um this really hip uh, area in Milwaukee in the Third Ward, very neat space uh, in like a historical old brick building. Anyways, um, we have 10 people total, soon to be 11. And I we're kind of like a boutique CRO. Um, we provide scientific experimentation to biotech and pharmaceutical companies that don't have a lab or they don't have the bandwidth or the expertise to do the experiments that they need for their clinical trial work and their preclinical work. Um, CRO being commercial research organization. Um, clinical research. Oh, clinical or, research. Oh, yeah. I always thought commercial. All right, I learned something too. Could, could be, could be. Um, I mean, that could be a couple. Yeah, but anyways, it's like, it's basically an organization that, you know, kind of high throughputs data uh, for companies that need it. So, yeah. Um, how did this start? You know, how, where did you guys even come up with this idea? Oh, this is great. Um, it's, I, I'm going to be careful with, with how I phrase it. Um, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit careful here because I, uh, I, I really still value my, the relationship that I have with the medical college of Wisconsin, yes. uh, where I'm, I'm still employed part-time. Uh, but, um, and it's, it's no secret. Um, so Mike has, uh, Mike had a lab at the medical college, um, with a number of employees and, um, he felt rightfully so that they could be compensated, uh, better and that the work that they were doing was more of a kind of on an industry level than an academia level. And so he tried to uh, fight for increased uh, compensation and he was not very successful. He wasn't successful. He tried for a very long time. And then um, he tried to create kind of a spinoff inside of MCW. Mm -hmm. And that just couldn't really be conceptualized by senior leadership or maybe they weren't interested anyways. Uh, and, you know, I think the employees were starting to get restless and, uh, the thing that makes Diverge successful is the employees, 
they can do the techniques like nobody else. It, it's unbelievable. So you, you can't lose the people, otherwise you're gone. And Mike had, he would was already working with about six different companies and he had contracts, you know, and he was just kind of stuck. And, and we would just kind of talk about it over dinner. You know, he's like, I think I need to move out. I think I need to do my own thing. And I'm thinking, oh my God, wow, this seems really risky. I mean, mm-hmm. in retrospect, it's easy for me to say, wow, that was, but in the moment I was terrified sure. is the reason I stayed 50% medical college, because I thought if this thing fails, then I can, then I can go back to being a faculty member. And one of us can still have a job. You know, I was terrified. We have a nine-year-old, we have a 13-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, we sat them down and said, we, if this fails, we, you know, may have to get a different house. We will have to get different cars. We invested all of our personal finances into this company. Uh, you know, um, anyways, so it was a huge, huge risk, but we just started talking about it and talking about it. And then he asked me, I remember it was over Christmas break and, and he said, you know, will you do this with me? And I thought, no, no, I won't. (laughs) I can't. This is way too risky. I just can't. And then I thought about it and I thought, I'm really the perfect person to do it mm-hmm. um, because I've had this experience and because I can see it. I can see every step. I know exactly what we need to do. I can just see it all. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that I knew that I could do it. And, and the key was for us to do it together, because if he would have brought in an external business person, he would have had to probably answer to what they advised and what they thought. And, and plus it's expensive and my salary is pretty reasonable. Uh, you know, (laughs) for now, um, for now. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Um, we have enough, we, we have enough, uh, you know, um, and just he and I, sometimes we don't even need to talk. I know one of your prep questions was, how is it working with your husband? You know, and a lot of times I don't even have to ask his opinion on if I have a question, you know, oh, should we do this or this? I know what he's going to say. I've known him for over 20 years. You know, I'll check in as a courtesy. (laughs) I know what he's going to say and vice versa, you know, so that just to be in sync with your business partner like that is incredible. Hmm. Wow. How do you, because I know you, I assume that there's still, there's still part of you that's saying like, what am I doing? We should, we should emphasize you are the chief operating officer of this company. Yes. yes, And um, obviously now that we know about your history with Seaside to an outside person, we would say, well, yes, of course you're the COO. It makes perfect sense. But how do you, how do you wake up every day and just say like, no, I can do this and I will do this. Like, how does one, how, how does one even like get into that mindset or how do you get into that mindset? I was terrified every day for the first six months. I mean, I just, I was not sleeping. I, you know, every day I thought I'm going to mess this up. It's going to be my fault. It's going to fail. And it will be because of me, you know, like Mike is all know this feeling very well. (laughs) Oh my God. It was just every minute of every day. I thought now, great. These people are relying on me to get, paid so they can live their lives like what if I mess all this up because I have an error on a spreadsheet and it's like oh sorry we don't have that much money we really have this much money my bad <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> you know like I was just constantly living in my spreadsheets and recalculating but you know I it was really through through things like this I listened to podcasts every day during my workouts, during my commutes, every spare moment, I would listen to a business podcast. Um, I I did a lot of online training. I did continuing education. I had to learn financing, accounting, HR. I had to learn all of it. And then as I started getting that education and I started to talking to people and I just started doing the job, I thought, okay, all right, I can do this. I haven't screwed up. Okay. Okay. I, I can do it. And then I just gained confidence and now it's been over a year and, um, and I keep up with my education and, 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 uh, I think that's an important component of it is just to keep learning and, and challenging myself in that way. So, yeah. um, 
for our listeners who are interested in learning a little bit more about the business side, you know, because people like you and me, we, we know a lot about the science, but maybe, you know, in my case, I went and I got an MBA. In your case, you were, you did the much, <laughs> much less expensive route, which admittedly, a lot of people told me, you don't need an MBA. You can just, you can go online, you can buy books, you can listen to podcasts, you can talk to people and you can get your education that way. What are some of your favorite like podcasts or books that you would recommend uh, for people who just maybe want to learn a little bit more about the business side of science? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at my stack of books right now. Yeah, you yeah, you um, have a lot of books there. I have a lot of books <laughs> there. Your house. Um, right. Uh so yeah, I did a lot of I did a lot of reading. I mean, really I mean, from a business startup, uh, the whole lean startup model is something that people talk about a lot. Um, you know, basically just kind of what are the what's the minimum, what are the minimum number of steps you have to go through to start a company? That's a good book. It's a good foundational book. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts by women. I mean, literally just Googled women in business because I wanted to hear a female voice. You know, I, I just, I wanted to hear it. Uh, no offense to the men out there, but it was important to me to hear that. And so a couple podcasts, You Belong in the C-Suite, Why Not Now, mm-hmm. In the Suite. I mean, just these great podcasts from these confident you know, articulate, intelligent women, they helped me. It helped me to hear, hear the words, hear the language. And then I started speaking in the language. Uh, and then I did take uh, a number of continuing education classes. So uh, at the local university and just kind of immersed myself into a, um, a certificate program for business administration, which has been nice because there were definitely areas where I needed formal training, such as bookkeeping and accounting and finance, because that yeah. is just a right way to do it <laughs> and a wrong way to do it. And I thought, okay, I, I'm going to learn how to there do this. There is a right answer. Right. Yeah, there is a right answer. <laughs> Fortunately, um, through my uh, administrative career at the Medical College of Wisconsin, I had received a lot of managerial training, mm-hmm. conflict resolution training, you know, so, uh, I was able to use all of that training, mm-hmm. project management, time management, crucial conversations, all that training, and I could use that in my current role. But uh, really kind of look around where you're at. Your university or your institution probably has uh, uh, on-demand classes that you can listen to. Start start um, looking at your resume and your CV and looking, you know, where are the gaps? Can I do a couple of trainings here? That's going to set you apart. That's going to make you look really good. When a hiring manager is looking at your CV and they think, oh, this person's done a crucial conversations, you know, or they've, you know, they've done this training or that training in their spare time to improve themselves. That looks really good. All right. All right. That's good. Good advice. Uh, are those things uh, able to be done virtually or does it have to be done like in a university type setting? So every university is different. And at, at the Medical College of Wisconsin, we have both on-demand virtual recorded classes that you can take. And there's also in-person and, and uh, Zoom classes as well. So that, yeah, there's all uh, I think since COVID, our institution and, and probably just about every other one has really, you know, uh, strengthens their online offerings. So, yeah. And are these things expensive? So at the medical college, they are free. Okay. Or, um, or there are, there's also another tier where you could have like a departmental training and then your department pays for it. It's, you know, you'd have to convince your department administrator to, to bring that to your department. But, um, you know, a lot of the, you know, that stuff can be free. Uh, of course, the classes that I'm taking for continuing education are, are not free. Right. Um, you know, so you just have to kind of determine what your investment is. But then again, if you're a trainee at an institution, you're probably getting uh, you're probably getting uh, some kind of compensation for educational enrichment. Mm, true. True. There should be a program. Uh, well, if there's not, you can advocate for one. Uh, and put that on your resume. You but uh, most programs have a have a kind of a educational um, payback for employees and, and trainees. That makes sense. So yeah. you and Mike have started your own company and your 
you're interviewing young scientists. So what do you look for when you when you interview people? If you're looking at somebody who's just trying to make that that first step, or maybe even back at Seaside, when you when you interview these folks, what do you look for? You have to be self-motivated. It's just you have to you have to be willing to drive yourself. If I don't see that drive, that spark, that enthusiasm, I'm not going to be super interested. Okay. Uh, I really feel like you can teach anyone pretty much anything. Uh, and I've taught people so many different things over the decades and decades. It, it, you know, True. you have to have that drive. You just have to. I have to see the spark. Okay. And I really, and, and again, the research, if someone comes in and as you say, they put the manuscript on the table, it's highlighted, it's dog-eared, uh, it's read, um, doesn't have to be understood. Make the True. effort. True. And, and just, you know, yeah, you have to have that spark. You got to have a drive. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I guess... Amongst all this, so let's let, let's think about let's think about where where you're at now, because I think as we talked about before we started recording, I think a lot of people imagine that a young Julie Tetzloff kind of saw herself in this type of position, and I think over the course of this interview, we've established that no, you did not necessarily, but I mean, um, I guess let's go back to talking about adaptation. You know, like how yeah. how does one just trust the process in a way, you know, and just kind of follow their path, you know, I guess, what, what kind of advice would you give for somebody who's just like, I can't do that. I don't, I don't know what I want to do. You know, how, how do, how does one like, maybe would just take that first step? Do you have any, any thoughts? So a couple, there, there are a couple things, a couple ways to answer that. I would say, first and foremost, you, you have to follow your passion. Mm -hmm. it, it can't be your grad school advisor's passion. It can't be your parents' passion. It has to be yours. At the end of the day, you have to drive it. And if you're not driving it, you're not going to succeed. You just, you have to want it. And you don't have to know what you want specifically. You know, you don't have to say, well, I'm going to be COO of a company by the time I'm 30. I mean, if you want to do that, great. But you don't have to have that path. I mean, my path was crazy. It was all over the place. Um, and, but, but I always did follow my heart, uh, you know, whether that be following my husband or going into industry so I could really help people on a larger scale or going back home because I wanted to spend more time with my dad and I wanted my kids, kids to know their grandparents, you know, you got that, that was part of it, you know, and just following your heart, um, and your, your passions. And then, but there are ways you can be smart about it. And so mm -hmm. this kind of gets to the other way that I want to answer your question. Um, how can you figure it out? And I've advised just hundreds of postdocs and I've mentored so many people at this point in my life. Um, what I what I tell them, if they really don't know what they want to do and they're really struggling, look at your network and start doing informational interviews. Um, you know, start looking at LinkedIn and say, oh, I know some people who are at some companies that I might be interested in. Send them a message. Ask them for 15 minutes of their time, you know? And you never know. You never know what's gonna happen. If someone messaged me on LinkedIn and said, I think your career looks amazing, I wanna talk about it, I would talk about it for hours, okay? <laughs> I mean, give me a cup of coffee, let's sit down. Uh, I'd talk about it for hours. Um, you know, I just, have the courage to make those those connections and to do those informational interviews. I think that's that's a great starting point for anyone who just doesn't know. I love that. I absolutely love that because one of the things that I always emphasize is that connections are key. And you never know what connections will eventually come back and help you out in the future, whether it's yeah. through business or um, and you're very good at doing this um, connecting people. So if I needed to find somebody for X, I know I could go to you and chances are with your very extensive network, you could say, I know somebody, or maybe that person knows somebody like keeping connections and keeping friendships close, I think is, is such an important part 
of the of the career journey. And actually, yeah, how how do you manage to do that too? So with everything else going on, you're a COO, you're a mom, you're a fitness fanatic, you're an excellent cook. I mean, like how how do you decompress? What what do you do for self-care? And like and how do you how do you keep your friendships going? Yeah, yeah. You know, you just you 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 kind of have to prioritize and just be really efficient. So when I'm at work, I'm at work. Uh, and I only work really during regular business hours. Uh, and at the end of my day, when I'm done at around five or whatever, I'm done. I don't work anymore. I put my phone down. I'm just done. And that's when I'm with my kids because they're they're the most important thing to me. My family is the most important thing to me. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to make a nice dinner. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk, you know, so having that family time, Mike and I both don't work nights and weekends. I mean, when we started the company, we did, we had several months when we did, mm-hmm. but now that's over. We don't work nights. We don't work weekends typically. Um, and that's really important. We put our phones down and we're just together. Um, and that, that's, that's been really important. That's wonderful. Uh, and then just. Yeah. And, and maintaining relationships. And that's, that's really critical for me. And, and yes, I, I am pretty busy. Um, but I do find that if I just put it on the calendar, I have regular phone calls every week with my mom and sister. It's a highlight of my week. Uh, I, I have the cliche, sorry, the cliche book club with the girlfriends <laughs> last Friday of every month, but I'll oh, tell no. you, they, uh, you know, just chatting with those girls, they, you know, it's just, it's uplifting. Whenever I'm driving home from book club, I just feel good. You know, I just, I just feel good. Um, so just maintaining those relationships, but making time for it, you know, yeah. saying this, this day of the week, I do this yeah. and do it. You have me reminiscing about our discount spa days that we used to do in grad school <laughs> and postdoc and you know, when, when we could afford to go get a pedicure together we would we would take that opportunity oh, those were the days right <laughs> we need to do that again soon right i need um, to come back to wisconsin and visit you i do yeah oh yeah we can upgrade our spa experience girl we can upgrade okay. that one. <laughs> we can upgrade it a little bit <laughs> And I love this idea that, you know, we can, we can leave our listeners knowing that there is a life beyond 12 hour time points and working on weekends and ducking in on holidays, you know, there, 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 there can be a life beyond that. There doesn't have to be, if that's your thing, you know, then, then that's great. Yeah. Uh, my, my uh, last guest, uh, Alicia Case said, look, if, if you want to, if you want to be answering emails at 11 o'clock at night have at it. You know, you, you absolutely can have that life, but if that's not the life that you want, then it doesn't have to be that way. And I I love that. That's wonderful. I will say that I spent a lot of my time in administration at MCW abolishing what people call the hidden curriculum. And that is where, you know, your advisor says something along the lines of, this is what I, I had to do. So this is what you will have to do. Um, it's just not appropriate anymore. It's abusive. It's traumatic. Uh, you know, it's just not how things are done. I mean, this generation, rightfully so, they have hobbies. They want free time. They mm-hmm. everyone deserves hobbies and free time, no matter who you are. Right. Uh, and and I would say just have the courage to be upfront when you're interviewing. You know, because it can be a very sensitive topic. But if you don't want to work twenty four seven around the clock, you know say that because if your hiring manager has that expectation neither one of you will be happy um you know so i have the courage and and and, you know we're hiring people now right now and certainly i i tell them that it's not an expectation you know and i'd want to hear that from them but but again if that's what you want great that building period when i had nothing going on and i was working 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 one of the best times in my life that worked for me yeah. You know, I'm a builder and I loved it. Um, would I do it now? No way. My kids are amazing. My son's going to leave the house in four and a half years. Oh my God. And he wants to go to the Netherlands. 
<gasps> what I no. make every Sunday, I go to coffee with him and we talk for hours and it's one of the best times of my week. Your kids are amazing, by the He's way. A I mean, I think boy, and he wants to hang out with me and have coffee and chocolate loose cake. I mean, come on. That's where it's at. I love that. I love that. <laughs> so the women out there who are worried about balancing career and family, I should tell them that uh, you should tell them that quality time, take that quality time and it'll be, it'll all be okay. Take the quality time. I'll tell you, it's not easy in the beginning. And I was blessed with very good babies and very good kids. And I dropped them off at daycare when they were eight weeks old, as early as I could. <laughs> I got back to work, not eight weeks, 12 weeks. 12 weeks. 12 weeks. Okay. And I got back to work and that's what worked for me. But at the end of the day, I was ready to see those babies and, and yeah, um, you can do it. You can do it. You I love that. It. Yeah. So Julie, if anyone wants to learn more about Diverge, uh, where, where, where should they go? Uh, we do have a website. Um, so I can share that with you and, and you could, you could maybe post it somewhere. It's divergetsl.com. Uh, yeah. right and um any other bits of advice little nuggets of wisdom you want to leave for our listeners before we sign off i would say just just keep keep pushing yourself to be better keep evolving yourself mm -hmm. uh you know as soon as you stop doing that you kind of get into a rut and then you're not challenging yourself and you're kind of living up to your level of competency you know you just want to keep raising that bar for yourself I love that. Yeah. I love that. Ayla, Julie Tetzlaff, thank you so much for being my second guest on the bench to boardroom and someone who literally has gone from the bench to the boardroom. It's not just a, <laughs> it's not just a figurative title. <laughs> I, I guess I didn't realize that I did that until I saw the title of the podcast. Yep. So proud of you for doing this. This wow. it's really going to help so many people. Okay. I wish I had something like this. I really I so. do. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for coming on today. I want to thank Dr. Julie Tutzloff again so very, very much for spending so much time with me today on the podcast. And thank you all for listening. Have a great day. See you next time.